Welcome to Transforming Lives with Michael Carter, pastor of The Life Church. The Life Church is a place where you'll enjoy interactive dynamic worship, prayer, and a very practical, down-to-earth yet spiritual message. Our service times are Sunday morning at 10 a.m. and Wednesday night reboot at 6.45 p.m. Visit us at mychurchlife.org or on Facebook. Just search My Church Life and look for The Life Church. Now, let's join Pastor Mike. I'd also like to just um, say uh, that I believe my dad is watching online today, and I want to thank you, Dad, um, because you laid a foundation for me that has changed my life. So I want want to thank my father. Um, What a godly man. And um, every time I go up to visit him, he's got a pretty vast library, and uh, I always look through his books, and he always blesses me and says, you can take that one home and read it. And I happened to pick one up this time when I was up there just this last few months ago, and it was called The Richest Man That Ever Lived. Um, And it was a book about Solomon, and it was written by a man who um, graduated from college and had about 10 different jobs and failed at almost all of them. And he finally met with a guy named Gary Smalley. Some of you may have heard of him. Gary Smalley recommended to him that he read the book of Proverbs every day for two years. And he did. It totally changed his life. This man is now a multimillionaire over many times. And And he's written a few books. And he gives the Lord total credit because he became a Christian. And he became to where he was applying the biblical principles of financial management to his life. And it changed everything for him. By the way, he was fired from six of his first ten jobs. So that tells you something about his character. And what we're going to talk about today is character, about the biblical character and the biblical stewardship of our finances, okay? And as the pastor said, we kind of launched off into the deep on this. And like Peter, when he stepped into the water and he was looking around, when he took his eyes off Jesus, he began to fall. Our finances are the same way. When we take our eye off Jesus, our finances and everything else begins to crumble. And so we must keep our focus on Christ. Um, I would also like to give a plug, as Jeff did, to Brother Mike Morgan, who's doing a great job of um, teaching out of the 23rd Psalm. And the 23rd Psalm says that God, or that Jesus watches over us like a shepherd, all right? And he wants to provide us. He takes us into green pastures and still waters. I would highly recommend you do that because it leads right into what we're talking about today. We continue the goal of encouraging all of us to be better managers of our lives and finances according to God's standards. Now, biblical money management is a discipline that touches every area of our lives, It's an area where the leading of the Holy Spirit is essential, just as it is in all other areas. I remember a story of a man who was very, very wealthy, and he said, I've never made a mistake in investing. Never. He said, my advisors have given me different ideas to invest in, and there are many times when I did not. I went totally against what they said, because I spent time on my knees in the closet asking God for wisdom. And the Holy Spirit led him in the right decision every single time. Now, Pastor Mike introduced us to three possible problem areas that we might have. And I don't know if you have those on the board or not, but one is we might have a desire to give, but nothing to give. That's a money problem. Remember that? The second one is we have a desire to give, but have tied up our resources and cannot give. And this is a management problem. The third one, we have no desire to give, and this obviously is a heart issue, which I don't believe is the case in anybody in this place. Praise God. All right? Because I believe everybody does have a heart to give. Now, as we grow in knowledge and understanding of living our lives for Jesus, biblical money management must be a part of that growth. It must be. The Bible uses a term called steward instead of manager, which is an interesting term. The biblical description of a steward is a manager, but he's also an administrator. He's one who governs something properly. He rules over something, and he handles something. 
And it doesn't necessarily have to be money. Takes control of, takes over, takes the helm, and organizes that which is unorganized. How many of you have walked into like a place that, that you might work and, and it's totally unorganized? Um, one of the jobs I had was managing a hospital ward, a cancer leukemia ward with 55 beds. And, and they had a closet there where all the supplies were kept. And it was the most unorganized closet I'd ever seen in my life. And I thought, how can you get anything done if you're going to spend 20 minutes every time you need something to come find it? So one of the first projects I had was organizing it. And what a difference it makes. It frees up people to actually do patient care instead of looking for what they need for that patient. And I'm sure many of you have done the same thing. Stewards are people who have come to a final conclusion and commitment to God as the owner of all things. And they ex accept the responsibility to manage his resources. Yeah. It's not ours. It's his. Okay? <clears throat> now the stewards are guardians of the interests of another. A steward owns nothing philosophically. But he is careful to guard and protect and increase the property of the one or he he or she serves, all right? Now, the biblical description of these specific words, the Hebrew word for stewardship, and I don't know if I'm going to say it right, but okonomos, oikonomos, I don't remember enough of my Hebrew, Brother Jim, to, so anyway, it means the manager of a hospital or a state. So little did I know when I worked in the hospital, I was okonomos, so... <laughs> or the treasure of a city, okay? Now the Greek word from the New Testament is epitropos. This is one who, whose care of honor has been entrusted, a curator, a guardian, and the word used to describe the function of delegated responsibility. We have been delegated the responsibility of the things on this earth, okay? God's honor has been entrusted to us. Have any of you ever watched the movie The Patriot? Okay. Well, there was a General Cornwallis. He was a British general. He had one of the subordinates, a colonel under him, who was a very wicked man. And he rounded up all the people of the town, put them in a church. He, he, he killed, he, he would kill old and young alike. It didn't matter to him. And finally, Cornwallis confronted him and said, what you're doing is coming against my honor. You're destroying my honor because I go into, they, they had rules for engagement, right? And he said, and you're destroying my honor and you're not going to do that anymore, okay? The problem was they started losing the war. And so then he gave up his, and went back to that guy and said, do whatever it takes. So he gave up his honor. All right. God expects us to do this. In Luke 16.10, Jesus said, He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. 1 Corinthians 4.1-2 says, Let a man consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God, Moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found faithful. Faithful. It's required that one is found faithful. So rather than evaluating us as owners using our own money, God evaluates us as servants using His money. All right? Godly financial stewardship is a matter of how, not how much. It doesn't matter how much. It's how you do it. Remember the woman with the two pants? And she threw it all in because she trusted Christ. Now here are a few examples of stewards, both good and bad, from the Bible. In Luke 16, 1 through 13, that's the parable of the unjust steward. This parable has always kind of intrigued me, okay? The story is about a steward who is wasting his master's goods, and then he's found out. And so he tries to figure out, what am I going to do? And you remember what he does. He goes to the creditors and he tells them, how much do you owe my master? He says, a hundred bushels. He said, mark 50. Okay? 
He went to him and said, how much, what do you owe my master? He said, 50 cruises of oil. And he said, Mark 25. And so what he did is he relieved those creditors of part of what they owed. And what's funny is the master, when he found out, he, he, he said he commended this unjust steward. He called him shrewd, which is kind of interesting because he was shrewd in the use of the unrighteous mammon. All right? But at the very end is what it is. The same thing as what we just read. If you've been unfaithful in what is another's, who will give you what is your own? But that whole thing of why that master commended him has always intrigued me. And so I've tried studying it a lot, and I think God has given me some interesting answers to it. But we're not going to go there today. So, <laughs> because, well, actually we can enlighten on it. What we do with mammon makes a big difference, okay? And if we, if we use the Holy Spirit, we can be shrewd with our involvement. But what he was doing was he was trying to set himself up because he knew he couldn't work. He knew he couldn't do things. So he was buying himself favors. All right? We, the only person we want to buy favors with is God. And that's only by doing his work. Okay? And then he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. All right. The parable of the talents, Matthew 25, 14 through 30. Three stewards are given amounts of money to invest for the master. I think one is five, one is two, and one is one. Two were successful. The third one did nothing and was cast into outer darkness for his lack of diligence. He could have at least done the minimum. What is God doing asking you? Do the minimum. He said, you could have at least put it in the bank for me. Then I would have gotten ursery, right? I would have got interest off of it. But he did nothing with it. What am I doing with my talents? Not just my money, my talents. Okay? Am I doing something or am I just leaving them? Another one is building your house on a solid foundation. Matthew 7, 26 and 27. We know this one. The parable of building your house on sand or rock. Are you trusting in earthly riches or heavenly riches? Right? So a man just bought 11 acres from a friend of mine and it's down on the bottoms. And this man is a construction guy from Florida, and he's building a house, but he came in, he brought in a whole bunch of gravel, then he brought in a bunch of sand put on top of that gravel, then he brought more gravel and put on top of it. And I keep looking at that going, he must know what he's doing, but if that's near an area where it could possibly flood, if the water comes, it's gonna just wash all that sand right out from under there. And so it's really, I've been watching this going, Lord, show me. Is he building his house on solid foundation or is he building it on sand? It appears to me he's building it on sand. But I may not know the whole story yet. And so I'm watching this unfold in front of me. Kind of interesting. Now, I think one of the best examples in the Bible is the story of Joseph as a steward. All right? I want to explain something. He was a victim of the society at the time. How many of us have thought we've been victims at times? And what did we do about it? All right? Um, I would highly recommend you read it again and think about the situations. He was, he was put into a pit first off. They were going to kill him. Fortunately, one of his brothers said no. They sold him to slavery. He became a slave. Then he became a prisoner. And everything he did, though, he did to the glory of God. He was a good steward. Even as a slave, he was a good steward. Even as a prisoner, he was a good steward. And what ended up happening? He became the second under the king. He ruled the whole area. And he saved Israel. All right? It's an incredible story of stewardship and redemption. It is the story of Christ because it is a story of redemption. I highly recommend you read it. Now, there are components to biblical stewardship. The first one is the careful and responsible management of what which God entrusted us with our, um, our time, our strength, our talents, and money, which we've talked about. In Matthew 25, it says, His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many. Enter into the joy of our Lord. Multiple times, Christ tells us that. Depending on our stewardship, depends on the outcome. Now, 
There are six areas I want to talk about as far as stewardship when it comes to finances and other areas of our life. The first one is working. Uh, working with diligence and integrity is biblical, and God promises to reward hard work. All right? Colossians 3, 23 and 24 says, And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. Do it to the Lord, not to men. Ephesians 6, 5 and 8 says, Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart, as to Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. From the heart. And I think we have Proverbs 22, 29. This is an interesting one. Do you see a man who excels in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before men. This was an exact quote about Joseph, really. I heard a testimony this morning, actually, and it depicts this perfectly. And there's a, there's a young gentleman in this church named Jim, who's a carpenter, and he gave this testimony today. He has been working for the same guy for over a year now. Okay, right through this whole COVID. And he's diligent at what he does. He's not only that, he's very good at what he does. And because of that, this guy wants to keep him working for probably another year. So Jim, I commend you because you're doing exactly what the Bible says. Okay, so he just shared that with me just this morning. And obviously it was meant for me to hear today. <laughs> God, you know, if you think about all the little things God does in our lives that we don't even realize he's got his finger on, all right? Just the whole thing of giving me that book that I was able to read from my dad, Jim giving me a testimony, and I've seen multiple things. I'm going to share another one with you here shortly. Another one is Steve Fields. I don't know if any of you are familiar with what Steve Fields does, but he makes muskets and he makes powder horns. Well, somehow he got connected with a guy that sells powder horns. Well, he asked Steve specifically for some of them, and he's selling them for a very good price. All right? Steve got a connection, and he does excellent work. If you've ever seen any of his muskets, they're unbelievable. Steve is a real artisan, okay, in that area. But both of these men have pursued something with diligence. A wise man said, in fact, it was Benjamin Franklin, if you do one thing extremely good, no matter where you are, so, uh, the world will beat a path to your door to get that, okay? All right. The next one is giving. Giving activates divine law that releases the blessings of God in our personal world. Proverbs 3, 9 through 10. Honor the Lord with your possessions and the first fruits of all your increase, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Luke 6.38 says, Give, and it will be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. I remember seeing that, that little thing about giving and, and how they took the glass jar, put a bunch of rocks in it, says, Is there any room left in there? And all the students said, No. He said, well, so he put a bunch of sand in there and filled it all up. Is there any more room in there? And they said, no. So then he took water, put water in there, and there was more room in there because it took all of it. You know, it's the same thing with Christ. He does that to us. He presses it down, fills it up. You can't fill a cup up until you start shaking it. Have you ever sifted flour, put it in? Well, if you start packing it down, you can get more in there. And that's what Christ does for us. Now, the other thing is, it says, for what, with whatever measure you use. So are you using a teaspoon? Or are you using a scoop shovel? Are you giving out of a teaspoon at a time? Or are you shoveling it in? Okay. Which one? I want it shoveled back to me. I don't want a teaspoon back. So, anyway. Acts 20, 35. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Proverbs 11.24 says, There is one who scatters, yet increases more. And there is one who withholds than what is right, but it leads to poverty. Okay? This scripture completely goes against our natural selfish ways of thinking. We don't think that if I give more, 
I'll get more in return. But it's no different than, the, Jesus used agricultural terms many times. If you throw out a hundred seeds, you're not going to get a hundred things back. It's going to come back multiplied over and over and over. I, I planted some winter wheat one time, and I think I remember reading that if you plant just a square one foot of winter wheat one year, harvest that, use all that to plant again, and, uh, and, and by the third year, you'll have enough to plant like 300 acres. It, it, it's because it multiplies that much, okay? And that's the way Christ wants to do us. All right. The third one is receiving. God responds to our giving by opening up opportunities to receive divine provisions both directly and indirectly from his hand. Malachi 3.10. Everybody knows this scripture. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessings that there will not be room enough to receive them. Okay? Receiving is sometimes one of the hardest things we do. I am guilty. It's harder for me to receive than it is to give. Okay? And, and thank God my wife has been teaching me, just accept it, Eldon, and shut up. And God says the same thing to us. Hey, I, you're my kid. Don't we all want to bless our kids? You know, God says the same thing to us. I want to bless you. Open your arms up and receive it. Okay? Accept it as a blessing from me. <clears throat> the next one is managing. God expects and requires believers to biblically manage their life, including their money. 1 Timothy 2.7 Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. Psalm 1, 1 through 3. I've, I know that um, Sister Deidre really likes this one. I've heard her bring this up numerous times. Blessed, and my wife loves this one too, is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper." Have you ever thought about that term, wither? Shall not wither? Okay. So I'm going to tell you another testimony that just happened to me just this week. I was here at the church doing some work upstairs. And, you know, nature's call. I had to run into the little bathroom. Well, fortunately, there was a bathroom up there, so I went in there. I was going to the bathroom. I finished. I hit the toilet thing to flush the toilet, and I heard something hit the floor. I'm like, What? I turned and I looked down and I saw a little tiny puddle of water. I looked some more and I found a rusted bolt that was on the ground, okay? The bolts that hold the, the back, the tank, to the seat were totally rusted out. <clears throat> if somebody else would have touched that one more time, that thing would have started running. It would have flooded the hole upstairs. And if we'd have been here, it probably would have done thousands of dollars worth of damage over the time. God put me in the right place at the right time with the right knowledge to fix it, and I fixed it. You know, that's the kind of thing God does for us. He wants to protect us. He wants to enhance our lives. He wants us, but we have to be good stewards, and we have to pay attention. That's the big thing. You know, there are so many times when I've missed it because I wasn't paying attention to little things. I cut my hand open, wide open, had to have surgery on my hand because I wasn't paying attention because he, he warned me ahead of time. But I had to have three tendons sewed back on in my finger. <clears throat> Almost lopped it right off. But he warned me, and I didn't heed it, okay? So pay attention to the little things in your life. <clears throat> so I want to go back to something. When we talked about receiving, and I was reading Malachi 3.10, and I want to... I want to encourage you today. Malachi is, a, is like a wrap-up of the whole Old Testament and a transition from the old to the new. All right? Malachi has an extremely good message in it. 
And actually, it's a message that is very appropriate to today. Because he warns Israel. He warns them of some of the things they're doing. Okay? And he tells them what's going to happen. But at the end of it, he tells them, if you will do this, if you will bring the tithes into my house. You know, <clears throat> the, the Levites and, the, and um, Aaron's were, uh, protégés were supposed to be in, um, working in the temple. That was their assignment. God gave them no inheritance because everything was supposed to come from everybody else to come in to take care of them. Well, everybody else was bringing in the lame and the halt and everything. They weren't taking care of them. They weren't doing what they were supposed to do. So they had to go out and start doing it themselves. Well, that neglected then everything that happened. And that changed everything. And this, th that message is so good. And it was 430 years before Christ. But it spoke of Christ's coming. I would highly recommend you go look at it. Because you'll read some things in there that are appropriate right now. Right now. And it will tell you about whether you approve of some of the things that are going on. Because if you're approving of some of the things that are going on right now, or not speaking up against them, or doing something about them, you're just as guilty. All right? Okay, enough said. <clears throat> Prospering. Number five. God desires that we see, receive abundantly of more than enough so as to become a liberal giver. He loves liberality. He gives liberality to us. Deuteronomy 28, 13. And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. You shall be above only and not beneath. If you heed the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and be careful to observe them. What a great message that is. Joseph, now... He became the head, you know? I mean, what he went from to is incredible. And God says, I'll do the same for you, all right? That, well, I can testify my own life and, and the jobs that I had. And I started at the bottom, but diligence and hard work and just being honest moves you. It promotes you, okay? And I'm, it had nothing to do with Eldon. It's all about him, okay? <clears throat> because he's the one that brings promotion. 3 John, verse 2. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in what? All things. Yes, all things. And be in health, just as your soul prospers. Okay? <clears throat> how many times has God preserved something that you have? Jim was just talking to me, too, about their van, how long they had it. God has blessed us with vehicles that last a long time. <laughs> you know, it's incredible what he does. He'll, he'll keep things from rotting away. If you're diligent with it, he'll, he'll preserve it. I, okay, i got to testify about our roof. This roof right here. I went up there while they were tearing the shingles off. And I'm going to tell you, God has preserved this place. <laughs> they had to replace 16 sheets of plywood up there because there were so many spots where the nails had rotted, where water had gotten in. 16 sheets, okay? We now have a brand new roof up there that's sealing everything in. Praise God, he preserved it. Now, have we paid the price for it? Yep, we have. Because there's a few areas up here that you probably can't see that are gonna have to get fixed. We're gonna have to pay the price. But, thank God, Thank God, okay? Things can be a lot worse if you don't pay attention to what God's saying. All right. Number six is bequeathing. This is interesting. God desires that we live wisely and leave an inheritance to continue God's work into the next generation. Next generations are really important to us. All right. Psalm 16.6 the lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. Thank you, Dad, for the inheritance of a Christian values. So, <clears throat> Proverbs 13, 22. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. <clears throat> it may not be money. It may be just your character. Maybe your parents brought you up in such a way that you have a good character, okay? Or maybe you've been taught from the Word of God, 
that God then shows you his character and you gain his character. That's even better. So, Proverbs 19.14, Houses and riches are inheritance from fathers. Okay, <clears throat> I want to go back a little bit and I want to expand or expound on the area of working because it's an area that hits all of us, okay? We were never meant to be idle or inactive. We weren't. Yes, we must rest. You've got to let your body rest and your mind rest. You've got, God says on the seventh day, I want you to rest. <clears throat> but we should always be actively seeking God in ways of expanding his kingdom. You know, the Sabbath, God says the, to, to rest on the Sabbath, but to honor me. Part of that is listening. Um, listening is an active thing. So we're not idle when we're listening. The Lord's been really getting after me about listening and paying attention to the person that's speaking, to listen to every single word, okay? Like, if you have the same problem I've had in the past, sometimes I answer before I've heard everything, you know? <laughs> they start talking, and you've got the answer before they've even finished the sentence. And then you realize that what they were saying wasn't what you are giving them the answer for, you know? And guys, especially for the women, they don't, they don't want an answer. They just want you to listen. Okay? They don't want you to fix everything either. They just want you to listen. So, all right. Little marriage seminar there. <laughs> I do believe that's an area that the Lord has been whipping me about, that saying, Eldon, I've been asking you to do this more. Uh, I, think I keep saying, well, but I'm no expert at marriage. He says, I don't care. I am. So I want you to share more. So anyway... So that's a diligent area that I have. Uh, so forgive me, Father, I will do such. All right. Um, getting quiet before God is an active thing. It's an active thing. All right? We're not idle. True listening is active, not passive. All right. Work was not a result of the fall or the sin of man. As godly men and women, we must ask ourselves if our work habits are an example of either the world's attitude of slothfulness or the Bible's admonition of diligence, okay? Which is it? How many of us have heard the term, don't work too hard? I've used it a lot of times. Well, don't work too hard. <clears throat> well, okay. Working hard does not just mean physically, okay? There's plenty of non-physical work that is very hard. If you, a lot of you have jobs where you're using this thing all the time, and it'll wear you out more than doing physical work. I know um, Lisa was put into some really tough positions not too long ago at her job, and they, they would lose people, and they kept piling more and more and more stuff on her. And, you know, it was like, when is it going to end? I can't keep up. I can only do so much. And it really has an effect on you physically, okay? It really does. Um, we've seen a lot of people that die of heart attacks just because of mental distress, you know? All right. <clears throat> I think the word hard here should be substituted with the term diligent. All right? God created us to work. Genesis 2.15 says, Then the Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. The word tend here is to labor, to work, to serve or work for another, to cause weariness or become fatigued. <laughs> to become fatigued, work. To cause weariness, yep. Okay, now, the reason why a lot of people cannot find an opportunity is that it is often disguised as hard work. All right? Um, this may be one of the reasons some people cannot sleep well. And that's biblical. Ecclesiastes 5.12. The sleep of a laboring man is sweet. Okay? So when you work hard, you sleep hard. So don't be afraid to work hard. And it doesn't just mean physically, okay? Because I know that there's a lot of work that needs to be done up here. All right. Helen Keller, everybody remembers who Helen Keller was. You know, what a, what a woman. I mean, goodness gracious. Um, if you don't know, she was blind, she was deaf, and she couldn't speak. 
And yet, look what she did. She said, the world is moved along not only by the mighty shoves of its heroes, but also by the aggregate of the tiny pushes of each honest worker. What we do has a ripple effect, okay? What we do has a ripple effect. I remember hearing something, <laughs> and I don't know how true this is, but they said that even a butterfly flapping his wings has a ripple effect that can go all across the world. You know, I don't know about that, but have you ever thrown a pebble into a pond? Watch the ripple effect? It goes out all over the place. It has an effect. What we do for the kingdom has a ripple effect all around us. All right? It just has an effect. Now, what happens when work degenerates? We're talking about the positiveness of work. When work degenerates, then individuals in society degenerate. Okay? Think about it. It's true. The people's motives, habits, and enthusiasm for work slip away. We lose our visions, ideas, and basic principles of work. The early Puritans viewed work as stewardship to God, which made their primary rewards spiritual and moral. So they saw the rewards of work from a spiritual aspect and from a moral aspect. Um, we can just look around us today and see the effects of not working uh, on us. And we know with this COVID thing right now, we, you know, I don't know how many of us it's affecting, but it's unbelievable. New York City, they say right now, looks like a ghost town. They've boarded things up. They've done all kinds of stuff. Look what's happening in, in uh, Oregon and in Washington, Seattle. They've boarded things up. People aren't working. Uh, I don't know what your thought is. You know, we, everybody has different things about this whole COVID thing. But shutting down is not a good thing. It's, and they've proven that. We can't stop, okay? We can't stop. I will tell you that I just found out yesterday um, that they actually shut a church down in California because they weren't practicing social distancing. They shut it down, all right? It's kind of interesting what's happening right now in this. And as Pastor Mike says, God's still in control, okay? But our stewardship reflects our spiritual and moral, moral character too. What, what we do with our money talks about our heart. Now, I don't know if any of you know a guy named Booker T. Washington, but he traveled over 500 miles to attend college. This was many years ago. Most of it was just walking. He was asked to sweep the college floors. He swept them three times, and he dusted them four times. He did it to please nobody but himself. He did it just because of his love for the Lord, okay? And because he felt that good about he wanted to do a good job. So he did it multiple times. A guy named C.W. Schwab, who was an early American steel owner, wrote Ten Commandments of Success. He put honest hard work at the top. Work hard, he said, for, work, for hard work is the best investment you can make. Unless a job means more than the pay, it will never pay more. Show me a man who's diligent in his work, and I'll show you a man who'll stand before a king. Okay? So unless that job means more to you, and whatever you do, do unto the Lord. When you fix a toilet, fix it the right way. Right? It's, <laughs> it's simple things in life. I want to read you an interesting story. So there were two philosophers one time. Oh, you have to excuse me. I am, thank you, Charlie. I didn't need it. Mouth's getting dry. By the way, thank you, everybody, for, for um, letting Pastor Mike stand up last week. Um, you know, I, I, I had a little bout with <clears throat> um, dizziness. Um, and I think I just had an inner ear infection or something. But I, <clears throat> it started on Friday. It was a little mild. Saturday was a little bit more. I had been fixing the neighbor's truck and laying down kind of on my, on my back, but my head was down lower. 
And so I think something moved in there. Sunday morning I got up and I couldn't go two feet without grabbing something. And it's like every time I moved my head, there were fish swimming around in there. <laughs> so and then the fins were flapping against my ears. And so I, I, it's like there, I couldn't, have, I couldn't have stood up here. I don't think I could have even sat up here. So anyway, thank you for jumping in and being in season, you know, at all times. So, all right. So two philosophers were having a discussion concerning the value and meaning of work. We could argue about this all day long and not come to a conclusion, one of them said. Why don't we go out and ask some workers how they feel about work? So they walked to a nearby construction site. Excuse me, they said to a worker, but what are you doing? I'm hauling these bricks over to the bricklayers. And what does this work mean to you, they said. It means if I keep moving, I won't get fired. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> so they approached a second worker. Could we ask you what you're doing? What does it look like? The man answered, I'm setting up these scaffold for the bricklayers. Well, what does this work mean to you? It means I'll be able to make payments on my house and car this month. All right? Practicality. Then they approached a bricklayer who was busy putting up a wall. May we ask you what you're doing? The man paused, smiled with satisfaction, and replied, I'm building a cathedral. The two philosophers walked away in silence, astonished at his answer. Finally, one of them found the words that they were both thinking. Do you really think he doesn't know it's a McDonald's? <laughs> it's a perfect example of doing unto the Lord. Okay? The bricklayer had a totally different perspective of what he was doing. All right? To him, he was building something amazing. And I think that's like Brother Jim. And, you know, when, when he does something, he wants to do it really, really well. Um, I like construction. I like to build things. But one of the things I don't like is trim. Because I've never been such a, a perfectionist that I had to be perfect. But I have always admired people that are perfectionists at what they do. Okay, because they do it so well. Now, I will tell you that I'm a perfectionist in some other areas. But, all right. So that's a good story about what it means to me to work. All right. So the book of Proverbs is packed full of wisdom explaining the reward for diligence and, and slothfulness. The Bible gives great description of the opposite of a hard worker and calls him a sluggard. He is a person with good intentions, but, not, but does not give himself to the daily responsibilities that bring prosperity and, faith and fruitfulness. Okay? I don't want to be called a sluggard. So out of the book of Proverbs, you'll hear all kinds of these. Like, the sluggard neglects preparation for the future. Doesn't think about it. The sluggard lives in poverty. That's Proverbs 10.4. The sluggard brings parents to shame. Proverbs 10.5. The sluggard is a source of irritation to co-workers. Proverbs 10.26. Well, that is very true. Yep. You know, they say that 80% or 20% do 80% of the work. The other... You know, one of the things I've learned about young people sometimes is sometimes you think that they're kind of lazy. But a lot of times they just don't know exactly what to do next because they've not been taught. They've not been taught how to look at something and see what needs to be done and just jump in and do it. Um, when I was a young man, I bought a pickup truck. Actually, I've owned a pickup truck all my life. The first one I got cost me $35. I bought it from my grandfather. And my dad um, was going to teach me how to drive a stick. And so he said, put it in first gear. Well, first gear would only go about four miles an hour. And so I put it in, let the clutch out, and we jumped all the way across the bridge on the road. And my dad was sitting over there laughing so hard, he couldn't tell me what to do. Finally, it dawned on me, push the clutch in, you know. And then we came to a stop. And after he finished laughing, he said, put it in second gear and start out. So I didn't know what to do. But once I learned, I got really good with the clutch. And so I... I even got so good that in San Francisco I had a clutch on my truck. And you know, San Francisco's got really big hills. And so you'd come up toward the top of that hill and hit a red light. 
And now you're stuck. And then the guy behind you would come up about this far from you. <laughs> Marcy, <clears throat> yeah, well, when I let this clutch out, guess what? <laughs> so you have to learn real quick how to keep your foot on the brake at the same time you're giving it gas, which is a real talent. But it's all you young people need to learn to look at what needs to be done and diligently do that. And I will tell you, when you learn that skill, you will always get promoted. Always. You will always get promoted because you learn how to see. All right? All right. The sluggard is slave to others. Proverbs 12, 24. He desires better things, but is too lazy to work for them. He's a big talker, but never does anything. These are just a few of the many descriptors of a person who lacks diligence, okay? A diligent person applies himself, gives attention to the needs of life, and looks to the future, and is willing to put forth effort and hard work. Proverbs says, the hand of the diligent will make rich. Proverbs 12.24 says, the hand of the diligent will rule. Okay? Proverbs 12.27, diligence is a man's precious possession. <clears throat> Don't be afraid of hard work. You know, it'll... It will give you riches, it will be a precious possession, and it will let you sleep at night. The plans of the diligent surely lead to plenty. Proverbs 21.5. All right. Solomon uses a more intense word to describe diligence. In Proverbs 20.11, he says, Even a child is known by his deeds, whether what he does is pure and right. Pure means to invest one's days, hours, and minutes in the ways that bring a pure return on the time and effort invested. Right means to do it expeditiously, efficiently, and effectively. Doing the best in the time that you're allotted, okay? Now, Stephen K. Scott, um, that's the guy that wrote that book I told you about, The Richest Man Who Ever Lived. And if, I'd highly recommend if you ever get a chance to read any of his books, I'd recommend it. Like I said, he was a multi-millionaire. Diligence is a learnable skill that combines creative persistence, a smart working effort rightly planned and rightly performed in a timely, efficient, and effective manner to attain a result that is pure and of the highest quality. This is all part of stewardship. We remember the story of Joseph. Joseph refused to sleep with his with his um, man's wife, even though she pursued him relentlessly. He said, why? He said, because I am diligent in everything that is my master's. I'm not going to do anything that would put my master, okay? I, as a Christian, don't want to do anything that is going to take the honor away from my master. All right? The wise steward will diligently follow and seek the Lord's wisdom, and in doing so will receive rewards God has promised. God takes stewardship very seriously. As we have seen, not just in the scriptures we talked about today, but throughout the entire Bible, money is just a part of stewardship. Our financial responsibility is just a small part of stewardship. We are, I know we're talking about finances, and finance, but stewardship is all about how you deal with it. Okay? And I think we can all agree the reason it's so important to God is it truly does reflect the heart of a person. Pastor Mike likes to tell us frequently, if God has your heart, he has everything. Right? All right. Um, okay. I'm going to put one small plug in. One small plug. Real quick. Because we're in a critical time in America's history right now. A critical time. And if you diligently do your research, um, what is going to happen probably in the next few weeks could have a huge effect on your financial situation. Huge effect. And I don't know what you've seen, if you've looked around, like what happened in Venezuela and what's about to happen in Bolivia and what's happened in other places is on the verge of possibly happening here. And it will have an effect on your future. And it will have an effect on us gathering in this church. Okay? 
Because it is, that is what it's all about. It's all about destroying Christianity. Period. It's about taking away Jesus Christ. All right. Now, so in wrapping this up, I want to ask yourself, you ask yourself these questions. Am I selfish or selfless? Am I a giver or a taker? Do I trust God or riches? Okay? And this the God is still in control no matter what happens. By the way, um, all sin is born out of selfishness. I want you to think about that at some point today. All sin is born out of selfishness. All right. No matter what my, uh, and here's the big one, am I investing my time, energy into his kingdom or mine? Do I see all of this as his or mine? 1 Timothy 6-7, it's a great one. Naked I came and naked I go. I can't take nothing with me, okay? <laughs> Except the love of you guys and the love of Christ and whatever he's given me in my spirit, all right? No matter what my financial situation is, I'm still a child of God who has been given the most precious promises and assurances of my future. And in the light of that, I can at least give a smile. I can say encouraging words to somebody else. I can lend a hand. I can pray for them. I can just sit with others. One of the most amazing things in the book of Job is how his friends came and sat with him for seven days and didn't say a word. Have any of us ever done that? Yes, God admonished them for what they said afterwards, but they at least sat there with them for seven days when he was in those, the situation he was in. All of these reflect a Christ-like character, and that's what I want. I want, above all else, to have a Christ-like character.